The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not contain or constitute and should not be interpreted as any form of medical advice or opinion. You should always seek the advice of your healthcare provider about any questions or concerns that you may have. Welcome to the Unfiltered Podcast. If you have experienced narcissistic abuse, you are in the right place. Our mission is to help you understand the abuse you have experienced, support you through your healing journey, and to help you develop healthy relationships. I'm your host, Juliana Aiken, and in today's episode, I'm interviewing Chelsea Brooke Cole. Chelsea Brooke Cole is a licensed psychotherapist, certified partner trauma therapist, coach, and speaker specializing in narcissistic abuse and relational trauma. She's the author of If Only I'd Known, How to Outsmart Narcissists, Set Guilt-Free Boundaries, and Create Unshakable Self-Worth. Chelsea's content provides support to thousands of narcissistic abuse survivors each day through her thriving online community. You can learn more about working with Chelsea or her resources at chelseabrookhall.com. In this episode, Chelsea will offer five practical strategies to help you gradually overcome the helplessness that narcissistic abuse causes. But before we dive into Chelsea's strategies to overcome the helplessness, let's take a moment to discuss helplessness and narcissistic abuse. Helplessness is an emotional state where an individual feels they have no control over their life or the circumstances affecting them. Helplessness is generally perceived as an inability to change or escape a distressing situation, often leading to despair or surrender. The helplessness can arise when one consistently encounters obstacles or lacks options. Experiences of helplessness can lead to emotional distress, low self-esteem and potentially depression as individuals start to believe they cannot positively affect their circumstances. In the context of healing from narcissistic abuse or dealing with the narcissist, feelings of helplessness are common. Narcissistic abusers often exert control and manipulation, causing the people they abuse to feel they have little to no influence over the relationship or their lives. This can create a deep-seated sense of helplessness, extending even after the relationship has ended. Now, let's get started with Chelsea's five strategies that can help you overcome the helplessness that narcissistic abuse causes. I think where we should start is number one, people have to identify what is happening in their relationship. So if you think you might be being narcissistically abused, if you keep having the same conversations, whether it be with a partner, family member, coworker, boss, like narcissistic abuse can happen everywhere. So what you often find though, is you experience a lot of anxiety, hypervigilance. You might start feeling a lack of motivation or helplessness, hopelessness, like you said. And so where I often start with people in therapy or coaching is number one, write things down. So instead of trying to go back in your head and kind of play this tennis match of like, well, I said this, then they said this, but maybe they meant this. And oh, I'm probably just overthinking this. And I'm probably too sensitive about this. Start writing things down so you can start to get some space from what's happening, then you can go back and go, oh, I did say that, or yeah, they did agree to that. And then they completely switched it around and blamed me. So you can start to see a pattern and notice what's happening. Okay. Yeah. So you're saying that to overcome the helplessness, uh, you should write 
you know, just basic things about your relationship down. So for example, what you say, what is happening, what the other person said, how they, let's say you have a conflict after the conflict, you write down what happened, what was the context, mm-hmm. what they were angry about, what you were angry about, what, how did you feel? So it's kind of a just documenting yeah. and, uh, okay. And can you, can yeah. you explain like, um, why? your first strategy so identifying mm-hmm. what is happening and writing stuff down helps when we are trying to overcome the helplessness that yeah. narcissistic abuse creates yeah well one of the reasons people feel so helpless in these relationships is because they don't understand what's happening like that is what i hear most you know from people is like i've never experienced something like this before i've never had a conflict like this before Or I can't seem to make any progress with this person. We have the same conversation a thousand times and it doesn't matter how I communicate with them, what strategy I'm using, how much I try, like nothing works. And that, and you feel helpless, you know, because there's, there seems to be nothing you can do about it. So by starting to write things down and start to have a more of like an objective kind of detailed list, not, you don't have to write down everything, but especially like you said, those conflicts, the disagreements, anytime you start ruminating or questioning, instead of, like I said, doing that like mental tennis match in your mind, write those things down and then go back over a week or a month and go, Hmm, we had this conversation five times and the person gave me five different answers or, you know, we're still having this same debate from long ago, or they actually did say that they were going to show up this time, but then they didn't, they changed their mind. They made an excuse here. I justified for them there. or I made a justification for them here. And you can start to see more of what's happening. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you so much. So this was the uh, strategy one when we are trying to overcome the helplessness. So what is the second one? So the second one It has to do with the amount of gaslighting that happens in these relationships, essentially all narcissists gaslight. And when I say gaslight, I mean that someone is attempting to control your reality or sanity. You end up feeling like you're kind of going crazy. You start questioning yourself, wondering, did I say that? You know, is this happening? What's wrong with me? You start to question your competence, your mental sanity, your your ability to do anything really. And that is, is how narcissists seek to control your mind. At the end of narcissistic abuse, like the ultimate end of narcissistic abuse is they become the filter through which you see the world. They basically become your reality. You believe them over your own voice, over your own thoughts, over your own feelings. So in my book, I go into more detail about this, something called setting what I call silent boundaries. And that's essentially boundaries that no one outside even necessarily knows you're setting because a lot of people feel very intimidated with the idea of setting boundaries. They they a lot of, oftentimes want to avoid conflict and they know that if I call this person out or highlight their inconsistencies, like that's going to lead to a conflict and that makes me really uncomfortable. So they'll just avoid it altogether. Okay, I totally understand you might want you don't want to jump to that first. So let's start with setting silent boundaries. Those are the boundaries that you set in your own mind. That's where, let's say a narcissist is criticizing you for, you know, being really disorganized or criticizing the way that you do something or saying, man, you're always in a bad mood or whatever it is. Instead of arguing back with them or trying to defend yourself, you think to yourself, I don't feel that way. Actually, this is why I'm doing that. 
and what you're saying isn't true about me. This is how I feel. And this is why you're not necessarily giving that to the narcissist, because if you give that to them and tell them like this, what you're thinking, they'll just continue to destroy it. But if you affirm in your own mind how you do feel, what you do think, why you're doing what you're doing, then that is a way to start setting a mental and emotional boundary. Chelsea gave excellent examples of silent boundaries. Here are 10 more. I won't let their mood swings affect my emotional state. I am not responsible for their emotions. I won't share more personal information than necessary. My private life is not their leverage. I won't allow them to consume all my time. My time is valuable and I decide how to use it. I won't react to their provocations or manipulations. My reactions are under my control. I won't engage in every conversation or argument they initiate. I choose when and how to respond. I won't compromise my values and beliefs to please them. My principles are non-negotiable. I won't neglect my needs for their sake. My well-being is my priority. I won't isolate myself. I will maintain and rely on my support network outside of this relationship. I won't let them always invade my thoughts. I will focus on positive and constructive thoughts. I won't get emotionally entangled in their trauma. I will maintain a healthy emotional distance. Maintaining silent boundaries is hard for us who are currently experiencing narcissistic abuse because of the internal conflict and emotional toll it takes. These boundaries require constant mental strength and self-validation in an environment where our feelings and perceptions are frequently invalidated or manipulated by the abuser. We also might struggle with feelings of guilt or responsibility for the abuser's actions and emotions, making it difficult to prioritize our own needs and maintain our silent boundaries. This internal battle, compounded by the absence of external support or recognition for these boundaries, makes them particularly challenging to maintain consistently. So please practice self-compassion and resist negative self-talk if you are not always successful in maintaining those silent boundaries. When I find myself being hard on myself after failing to uphold these boundaries, I remind myself of all the times I have successfully maintained them. Now, let's return to the episode with Chelsea. Why, especially setting silent boundaries, these internal and just in your own head and mind, why does it work, especially when we are trying to overcome the helplessness? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of people feel like they don't own their own feelings or thoughts in narcissistic relationships, that the narcissist has taken over their mind. Instead of thinking, how do I think and what do I feel? They think, what will the narcissist say? How are they going to feel about this? How are they going to react? So silent boundaries help you start to take your mental real estate back. Mm, Thank you so much. Uh, So the number one was identify what is happening in your relationship. And the second one that you just shared was set silent boundaries. What -hmm. is the third one? The third one is, so after you've identified what's happening, you're setting more silent boundaries, you need to start intentionally investing in personally meaningful goals and have spaces that are safe from the narcissist criticisms, from their gaslighting, from their belittling. And this might take some time, but it's really important that you start to find things and invest in things that are important to you. This is essential to you getting you back. 
because in a narcissistic relationship, you lose yourself. Narcissists seek to own your mind, own your emotions to, you know, basically take over you. And people often feel like, I don't even know who I am anymore in this relationship because they're so worn down. And so you finding things that are important to you, whether that's figuring out what kind of foods you like, what's your favorite books to read? What kind of music do you like? Do you want to take a painting class? Do you want to take a dancing class? Do you want to go, you know, do a, go to the dog park? Like, what do you enjoy? Who are you? And this is an essential question to start asking yourself to take yourself back after these relationships or during them. When you're in a narcissistic relationship, so much of your mental and emotional resources are going toward managing the narcissist. Like what mood are they in? What what are they going to criticize me for today? You have that walking on eggshells kind of feeling. And so it's about intentionally starting to ask yourself, how do I feel in this moment? You might set a reminder on your phone. You might put some sticky notes up um, around the house or somewhere that maybe if the narcissist won't see it, if you don't live with the narcissist, that might work. But like a reminder on your phone or something like that, just to take one minute take a breath and sit with yourself and ask, how am I today? How do I feel? What do I need right now? Maybe it's as simple as you get through a whole day and you realize you haven't eaten all day or you haven't drink, you know, any water or you, you don't even know like how you like to relax. What, again, what music you like, listen to the temperature you like it to be in your house. Like these simple things that you just stop even knowing about yourself and if you're not sure, then just start being curious about it. If you ask yourself, I don't even know what music I like or what I like to eat or anything about myself right now, that's okay. Just start exploring. Just start being curious about it. Mm, okay, yeah. And so the reason why this works, this is the number three that, you know, get mm -hmm. yourself back when we are trying to overcome the helplessness is because, or like... I'm asking, is it because the um, because you have lost yourself, which creates mm -hmm. a lot of feelings of helplessness because you don't yeah. have yourself there. <laughs> so this is like kind of small steps taking yourself back. And that's why it works so mm -hmm. well when we are trying to overcome the helplessness. Or can you summarize this, uh, you know, better? Yeah, that's exactly it. You do feel helpless because you don't even know who you are anymore. And, and so once you can more confidently say, I know who I am, I know what I like, I know what I don't like, you start to gain some more resilience back or like that, that stability, like I, I know me. And that is that can be a real turning point in a narcissistic relationship. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I like that. So now we have covered Number one was identify what is happening in your relationship uh, and mm -hmm. writing these things and interactions and stuff down. Uh, number two was setting silent boundaries. And third one was personal, like get yourself back by setting personally meaningful goals mm -hmm. and kind of exploring that area. The fourth one, what is that? Yes. So this one dives a little bit deeper into healing. So I love how you summarize. So we know where we are. At this point, you're knowing what's happening more. You're seeing the patterns. You are finding yourself a little bit more. You're touching base, like knowing who you are. 
Now, at this point, a lot of people still get quite frustrated at themselves for feeling the way they do, especially when you start noticing, man, I'm anxious a lot, or I, I really lack motivation, or, you know, how did I get so disorganized in this area of my life? And they can be a lot of shame and judgment from what you start to see. So it's really important that you start to differentiate between who you are and what your triggers are. A lot of times, survivors can't tell the difference. They think, I am an anxious person instead of, you know, sometimes I'm triggered to experience anxiety because of the narcissistic abuse, because I've had to live with or deal with a person who constantly criticizes me. And so I've become self-conscious and therefore I'm experiencing anxiety sometimes. Um, I always tell people that triggers actually validate your reality because They don't say that you're bad, but they say something you went through was bad. And so what I encourage people to do is actually write down all the ways that you have tried to deal with the narcissist or heal from narcissistic abuse. And the reason that this is important, especially for the helplessness, is because this proves your resilience. A lot of survivors don't see themselves as very resilient. They they feel worn down. They feel hopeless, helpless, depressed, anxious, hypervigilant, lack of of motivation, fatigue, overwhelm. But look at all the things you've tried to do to make this relationship work. Like so many survivors have spent so long reading all the books. They've looked at into narcissistic abuse. They've looked at the communication strategies. They've tried the different love languages. If this is a romantic partner, they've tried, you know, different strategies at work. If it's a boss, if it's a family member, maybe you grew up with this narcissistic person. Maybe it's your parent and you've tried to do everything they've asked and you've tried to be, you know, exactly what they wanted you to be. And you still feel like it's not enough. And that doesn't prove something's wrong with you. It actually proves you're quite resilient because look at all the things you've done to try to make this relationship work. And so I think that's why that one's a really powerful tool. So Chelsea's fourth strategy involves differentiating between ourselves and our triggers, as we often fail to see the distinction. Chelsea gave an example where we might describe ourselves as anxious people when, in reality, it could be that events in a narcissistic relationship are constantly triggering us. The abuse is triggering our anxiety rather than it being an inherent trait. Chelsea also highlighted that an excellent way to remind ourselves that we are not helpless is to write down everything we have tried to either heal from narcissistic abuse or cope with the narcissist. Due to ongoing or past abuse, we may be triggered daily, leading to feelings of helplessness. This is especially true if we haven't been distinguishing between ourselves and our triggers. Writing down our resourceful actions is an excellent reminder of our resilience. Seeing this on paper can help us feel less helpless. I asked Chelsea to delve deeper into this strategy of differentiating between oneself and one's triggers and how it can reduce feelings of helplessness. She explained that becoming aware of the different parts of ourselves, such as through parts work from the internal family systems therapy modality, can help lessen these feelings. Understanding that we have different parts can decrease shame and guilt, which is important because shame and guilt often foster feelings of helplessness. Shame, in particular, can lead to helplessness by making us feel that something is inherently wrong with us, leading to a belief that we can't improve ourselves or our situation. 
Also, understanding our different parts can provide insights into our behavior patterns in relationships with narcissists. Generally, the more we understand ourselves, our patterns, thoughts, emotions, feelings, and behaviors, the less helpless we feel, in my opinion. This self-awareness is like being handed a flashlight so we can see our path rather than navigating in the dark. Now, let's listen to Chelsea as she explains this in more detail. Something I do with a lot of clients, I like to use what's called parts work. It's based on internal family systems. And it's this idea that our personality is made up of different parts. And you'll notice that we even describe ourselves like this. Like if you've ever said, well, part of me wants to do this, but then another part of me thinks this, like we describe ourselves in parts. And I find that that is a really helpful way to decrease the shame, decrease the guilt, because if you can say, okay, there is a part of me that, you know, isolates. And then there's a part of me that works really hard to make this relationship work. Or there's a part of me that goes into absolute hypervigilance and helper mode and fixer mode. I know that's a really common one for narcissistic abuse survivors. Like you have such a strong helper fixer part that you think that's you and you don't know who you are outside of helping people. And if, if you think that who you are is a helper, then you often don't know how to set boundaries. You feel bad for ever saying no or walking away. And a narcissist, of course, like keeps that process, keeps that belief alive because they're always going to tell you you're never enough. So if you start to explore, well, that helper part of me is a part of me. It's not all of me. And then you can start to consider where did this part develop? Like what made me think I had to always be helping others? Why was my worth, why is my worth so tied to helping others? And then you might find in childhood, well, that's kind of the role that I've always been in in my family. Like that's that was what is expected of me. And so that's who I grew up thinking that I was and I didn't know there was another way to be. And so you start to be able to see like, oh, it's more of me trying to get my needs met by being a helper or a fixer or maybe a people pleaser. But are there healthier ways for me to do this? Is it possible that I can be a helper and set boundaries? And so kind of starting to differentiate in that too, that you can have a lot of different parts of you. And just because you're a helper doesn't mean that you also can't set boundaries at the same time. Okay. Okay. So thank you. That was helpful. How do I become more aware of my parts or is it something mm -hmm. that people usually know, like they can identify because you gave already, you gave help, help, helper, fixer, people pleaser, mm -hmm. but I'm sure there could be something else to That might be the most yeah. common though, but like, yeah, there can else? be so, yeah, mm -hmm. there can be so many. Um, and people often, I would say are not aware of their parts because it's often how we describe who we are. It's like, you know, I'm a people pleaser. When people say that, they're like, I am a people pleaser, as if that's all of you. And that's kind of how they describe themselves. That's how they think of themselves. They don't recognize the people pleaser as a part. And the people pleaser part feels like you have to do what is expected of you or what people want from you in order to feel safe, like emotionally in that relationship. Um, so the the quickest way that I think people can start identifying their parts is to starting start noticing their emotions and ask yourself, particularly if you have an emotion that seems out of proportion to the situation, like 
you might say, okay, on a scale of one to 10, this is like a three, really not a big deal, but I feel like it's an eight. Like I'm so upset about this. Okay. Get curious about that. So this might sound like an odd question at first, but what age does this emotion feel like? I often kind of walk my therapy and coaching clients through that. Um, and they might say, well, I feel kind of like throwing a temper tantrum, or I feel like a defiant teenager, even though I'm 30, 40, 50 years old, like, this makes me feel like a kid. Okay. And then we can explore well, what was going on for you in life at that age. What emotional need wasn't getting met for you that you really needed at that age? And then what did you believe you needed to do or become to get that need met? And that may be the origin of being a people pleaser. So there's there's obviously a lot of layers we could get into with this. And um, there's some good books on this. And I, I talk about this in my book as well. Like, how do you start identifying those those different parts? How do you start identifying where boundaries developed? Like, what made you either have rigid or flexible or healthy boundaries? And like, where do you even go from there? Okay. Yeah. Thank you. So again, just to kind of summarize this, this part. So you said like differentiate between you and your triggers and differentiate also like between you and your different parts or become aware mm -hmm. of that. Can you summarize why this helps us to overcome the helplessness that narcissistic abuse creates? Yes, because a narcissist makes you feel like you're pretty one dimensional. They make you feel like you're not enough. Like bottom line, we can talk about all the things, but overwhelmingly what people end up feeling in narcissistic relationships is that they are not enough. And if you can start to recognize that there's a lot of parts of you, that there are some parts that are great, that there's a really funny part, there's a creative part, there's, you know, a friendly part, like there's so much more to you than what the narcissist has said. And going back to originally when I was talking about like write down all the ways you've tried to overcome narcissistic abuse or like heal from it, that's a way you start to see I'm not one dimensional. Like I've actually done a lot in this relationship. And the reason it's not working isn't because of you, but because you're with someone who wants to keep the problems. And there's nothing you can do with someone who wants to keep the problems alive. Hey, I hope you are enjoying this episode right now. If you didn't know this already, our mission here at Unfiltered is to help people who have experienced narcissistic abuse understand the abuse they have experienced, support them through their healing journey, and to help them develop healthy relationships. We want to help as many people as possible, but the only way we can reach everyone is if you choose to share this episode. So if you have been getting value from our content, it would mean the world to me if you shared it with others. You could do this by sharing it with your online support groups, sending it to someone dealing with a narcissist, or even leaving a review. Thank you so much. Let's get back to the episode. So when we are trying to overcome helplessness, uh, your first recommendation was to identify what is happening in your relationship so gaining that awareness second one was set setting silent boundaries third one was personally uh getting yourself back so setting personally meaningful goals the fourth one we just went through so differentiating between you and your triggers and also becoming aware that you have many parts in you and so you are not that multi uh you're not that one dimensional mm -hmm. person that the narcissist might have tried to convince you that you are. 
So the final thing, what is the final strategy? Yes, number five. So when you've done all of these things, you may still have to interact with the narcissist. I, you know, no contact is the best option if possible, but that's just not where a lot of people are. And so anytime you have to deal with a narcissist or toxic person, you have to take a different communication strategy. Like there's your healthy people communication strategies and there's your toxic people communication strategies. One of, I kind of have three parts to this, but overall it's communicate with the narcissist differently. Um, And then I'll break three parts of that down. So number one, Dr. Romney talks about something called the DEEP technique. And it's an acronym that stands for don't defend, don't engage, don't explain, and don't personalize. This is essential to remember when you're talking with a narcissist because you don't want to go deep. You don't want to have really meaningful conversations. Like you don't want to open up to them about, well, these are my hopes and my goals and my dreams. And this is, these are my raw feelings and these are my highs and these are my lows because anything you give a narcissist, they will use against you. It will come back at you later. They will gaslight you with it later. They will criticize you. And so you really want to kind of imagine like holding that quite strong boundary um, mentally and emotionally between you and the narcissist. So the deep technique reminds you to keep conversations quite surface level. You talk about the weather, you talk about pick up and drop off times for the kids. If this is someone you have to deal with at work, then you talk about what are the deadlines? What are the expectations here? What are the timelines? But you don't, you try your best not to get caught in conversations about your personal life. You, you know, kind of always have an exit strategy, like, okay, I'm going to talk to this person, but as soon as they start criticizing me, they start trying to triangulate me by talking to me about someone else and trying to get me in this gossip and this drama. Okay. Then I have to leave. You start communicating with all the narcissist or toxic people very differently in your world. Okay. Yeah. So communicate, like, figuring out how to communicate with the narcissist and one of the techniques was like this deep technique did you say Mm -hmm. there were three three or was it inside this deep technique yeah it's kind of all in it yeah the deep um so don't defend don't engage don't explain Mm -hmm. don't personalize avoid meaningful topics like your dreams your hopes your innermost feelings and always have an exit strategy when you're talking to a narcissist like have those time limits around I will talk to them for this amount of time, or I'll talk to them until they start gaslighting me or criticizing me or triangulating me. That can also help you feel not as helpless because you realize I have choices here. I don't have to just endlessly try to engage engage with them or convince them of my feelings or convince them that how I feel is okay or that my reality is right. Like, just don't. Disengaging is the only communication strategy to use with a narcissist. Thank you. That was great. So uh, when we are trying to overcome the helplessness that narcissistic abuse causes, we went through first strategy. Uh, You said identify what is happening in your relationship. So writing things down. The second one was setting silent boundaries. The third one was getting yourself back. So for example, it looks like uh, it could look like uh, setting personally meaningful goals. Then you said differentiating between you and your triggers and becoming also aware of the different parts of you. 
And uh, the t uh, practical thing how to do that was also to writing down things that you have already tried when dealing with the narcissistic person or when you are trying to heal from narcissistic abuse. And then the fifth one was uh, really using, for example, this deep technique when communicating with the narcissist and also having those uh, you know, limits at exit strategies mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So that's quite a list. Thank you so much. Uh, is there anything you want to like add or, uh, you know, summarize this whole topic of, uh, five mm -hmm. strategies for overcoming the helplessness that narcissistic abuse causes? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's so much more that we could talk about, but I really wanted to make it actionable. Um, so that people have strategies they can walk away from and just know that this is a process. Um, I think a lot of a lot of survivors really feel quite desperate, you know, to figure this out and, and to heal as soon as possible. So just remember to bring compassion to yourself as you would a friend and know that there are help. You know, there is help out there. There are resources, but it's going to take time. But just be compassionate to yourself and give yourself time to explore, to implement these strategies. And over time, you will start to see that you're in a different place. It might take a month or six months, but make sure you're you're looking back at how far you've come instead of just looking at where you want to be. I hope you enjoyed that episode and maybe you are going to listen to it a couple more times if you are planning on using Chelsea's advice, which I hope you do. Before I let you go, I would like to invite you to join our free community. My team and I send out free courses and healing exercises every week. We also host live therapist-led Q&A sessions every month that are 100% free. Actually, our next Q&A session is with Chelsea on November 18th, starting at 11 a.m. EST. So I hope to see you there. To join, please click the link in the podcast notes or visit unfiltered.net slash community. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I'll catch you in the next one.